0: Welcome back to Firewall. As usual, I'm your host, Bradley Tusk. We're doing a special episode today. Yesterday was primary day here in New York and some other states around the country. And my guest today is someone who's our first time on our podcast. But I think she's going to be a recurring guest, um, Chantelle Smith. Chantelle, thank you for joining us.
1: Thank you, Bradley.
0: So more than just joining Fire Law right now, you just joined us at TUS Strategies. Uh, you're sort of the biggest hire we've made in a long time. We're really, really excited about it. Um, you might take in a minute just to introduce yourself to the audience.
1: Yes, so I'm Chantel Smith. I just was hired as executive vice president for TUS Strategies. Uh, prior to joining TUS, I was the chief of staff and counsel to the Senate majority under Andrea Stewart Cousins in New York State. And I've been at the Senate for about, I think, 14 years. And, you know, it's been a wild ride. I've been in the majority twice, won a majority in 2009 and 10, lost it 11 through 18, won it again in 19, and then had a supermajority in 20. So yeah. now I'm in the private sector and just observing from afar.
0: Well, not, observing might be putting it a little mildly, but yes, participating <laughs> in a different way. Uh, it's probably, but um, yeah, no, we, uh, we and Chantel joined, I think it was August 2nd, we announced it publicly, we're uh, really excited about it, so, and given her expertise, wanted to have her on to talk about uh, her take on all the primary results. So first thing, you mentioned this before we started recording, so where were you during all of the primary yesterday?
1: I was in the plane on JetBlue coming back from Costa Rica, which I would not recommend to anybody if you are a lover of politics on primary night. Because, like you know, you're using the JetBlue internet and you're trying to get all the statistics and get all the numbers, and my text messages were going off, so it was like I was it was torture yesterday. Yeah,
0: like, right. The, I mean, here's the the dirty secret about Wi-Fi and planes: it never really works. Yes,
1: never works, never yeah. works. It doesn't matter but what least,
0: airline, what route, it never really works.
1: That that internet was probably the best I was gonna get, so I was happy that I did have service because. I had to rebook my flight to go home and the other airline probably wouldn't have had
0: internet. Yeah, that's pretty, yeah, that happened when the, when the Dobbs decision came down and we launched Mayday, I was on a flight from Dubai to London, Emirates. So it should have been like, great. It's supposed to be the best airline. Same thing, like barely worked. I was trying to do all this stuff. Totally (laughs) frustrating. So anyway, um, so a lot happened yesterday, both in in New York and then I think things with national applications as well. So I thought we just kind of go through a little bit race by race and kind of your macro assessment of what it all means and then maybe talk, talk about the national impact a little bit so the, the i guess the two marquee races were new york 10 and new york 12. 12 as i think the listeners might know was both of these were newly created districts uh due to the redistricting and the maps that, that you helped draw um so nadler and maloney and a guy named sraj patel competed in the 12th it it was a lot less close than I think people thought. Were you surprised that Nadler won by so much?
1: I think I was surprised. I knew towards the end that Nadler was running away with it. I think there was a poll that had him up significantly a couple days prior to the actual primary. And um, Maloney, unfortunately, was going very negative towards the end. So whenever a candidate goes extremely negative, you always know that something's not right. So I wasn't surprised Nadler won. I was surprised just how quickly, because it seemed like publicly that they were all in the running. And then the last two weeks, it seemed like Nadler really ran away with it, I think after the Times endorsement.
0: Yeah, so so I guess that's the question is, how much of it is the power of the Times with those particular voters? How much of it is that? Um, Nadler voters were maybe a little more tuned in on an August 23rd primary whatever it was than than Maloney voters, and how much was it just the makeup of the new district itself?
1: I think the Times endorsement, I know everybody was really pissed off about this Times endorsement because they endorsed three white guys, but I think the Times endorsement was very significant for Nadler. Um, I think also Nadler seemed publicly, outwardly more progressive than the other two candidates, even though they're kind of similar in their politics, but I think people liked Nadler more. I think Carol Maloney went negative towards the end. I just think that always, you know, throws people off in elections at the end. And do you see, is
0: this Nadler's swan song, or do you think he's going to uh, keep- this is Nadler's swan song.
1: I think, you know, I think um, the, uh, his opponents were saying that he was senile towards the end and that he was, like, saving this seat for Scott Stringer. I think this is a swan song. I think he's going to do two more years. And then after that, I think this district will really be up for anybody.
0: Right, and it'll be, a, I mean, I know that Stringer will, will go in, I guess, as the presumptive favorite, but he's gone into other elections as the favorite, too, and not one. Um... I would guess you could get as many as 20 sort of interesting people uh, throwing their hat in the ring uh, for an open seat.
1: Yeah, I think you're going to get a bunch of people throwing their hats in the ring. I think it's going to come down to name recognition, money, and generally who, who's been in the community. And I think once, you know, right now, if someone ran for the seat, they have um, in Congress, you know, they have a lot of flexibility. I think Scott Stringer has a chance, you know, just saying this early because he's even though he didn't, he wasn't successful in the past. He's still working the district. He's still talking to people, and he's out there all the time. But yep. there's going to be tons of people. Mark Levine, you know, I think Brad Hoylman would probably want the seat. There's going to be a bunch of people who would want
0: right. See. And then you know, as we jump at ten, there's going to be some version of Dan Goldman, right? Which is a wealthy person, maybe super qualified, maybe not. But either way has the ability to kind of, you know, move the race itself, right? An open seat in Manhattan just seems too attractive to not attract at least one millionaires. Um, I think,
1: yeah, I think that millionaires after Goldman's performance yesterday are going to think, oh, I can do this too. I can, you know, win a seat. If progressives are smart, you know, the more, you know, the far left, They'll, like, organize and figure out who is the one candidate to run. I think the problem with the race with Goldman was so many people, so many, quote, unquote, progressives were in the race that they all canceled each other out, leaving the door open for Goldman to win, especially after the Times endorsement.
0: Right. And, and I think, look, while Goldman did win, if you were to make a list of the history of rich people running for office succeeding, it's, it's still pretty low. Right. Exactly. exactly. That doesn't work. Right. So if I'm the DSA, I, I love the idea of, you know, millionaires and billionaires running for office and self-funding, because I think ultimately your odds are a lot better than against a more established candidate. So in the 10th, Dan Goldman wins. I guess first question is, were you surprised by that?
1: Um, I was
0: surprised in the beginning when I saw
1: his name, you know, pop up. I was surprised. Like, I think there was some polling. I forgot who did the poll, but they had them up like maybe a month ago. And I was like, really? Because I definitely thought someone like um, Carolina, who was in the community, would have been a favorite. And even Yulene, because, you know, I think the progressives took a, a beating in June and they really coalesced around Yulene after the June primary. So I thought, you know, Carolina or Yulene would have been in the lead I was very surprised by Goldman. But once the Times endorsement came, there's something about, you know, Nadler's district and Goldman's district. They are heavy New York Times. Once the New York Times gives the endorsement, these people just go out and vote. So once he got the Times, I thought that solidified his win.
0: Yeah, that's you right. Know, I was talking to um, Tolly Weinstein this morning. She ran against Alvin Bragg for DA of Manhattan. And I, I brought this up some to her and I said, how do you feel about the way Goldman was treated by the media compared to the way you were? Because you're both really wealthy people who basically self-funded your races. Um, and she was very, very gracious about it. But, you know, the the, the uptake that I got from was basically they ran the same campaign. They had roughly the same qualifications. And he was supported and endorsed. And she was sort of excoriated uh, for her wealth. And it's hard to really attribute anything other than gender um, to that. What, what do you think of that? I agree.
1: I mean, I I just, again, I was shocked how people accepted him so easily. Of course, like, you know, your more progressive people were like, oh, he's bad. He's buying the campaign. But like regular people in Manhattan had no problem voting for him. He won. But I just want to point out, I don't know if he would have won if that race wasn't so congested. Had a Mondaire or a Carolina dropped out a week, two weeks before this, maybe I won't say two weeks, but like a week, I think the results would have been different. I don't know if Goldman would have won.
0: Yeah, it, so, it all kind of worked out well for him. Do you think, so Mondaire obviously did not make the right call and sort of switching districts. Do you think he had a choice or he was just kind of screwed either way?
1: Um, You know, I think he was screwed either way. So... I personally think he should have ran against Sean Patrick Maloney. I think he would have did he would have had a better showing than Biagi did in that race. Um, I think for race politics, he didn't want to go against Bowman. So I thought he. I think he used to live in the city prior to moving to Rockland. So I think in his mind, it just made sense to go back to where he used to live. And he figures he's a progressive darling. The progressives will love him. Easy peasy. He has money, and he, I think he had the backing. It was rumored he had the backing of Pelosi and the Democrats in Washington. So I think he thought easy peasy. I have this.
0: Yeah, and, and by the way, if, if anything, because you know I, I like Mondaire. He's he's worked with me on some of our hunker stuff that we do out of out of our foundation. And when he called to tell me that he was switching into the tenth, I said, "Well, what'd you get?" And he said, "Nothing." And I said, "What do you mean?" He said. Well, I made this decision. I'm like, right, but you you totally let Sean Patrick Maloney, who runs D off the hook. Mm-hmm. Didn't get like some firm commitment from them on money and trying to box out other candidates and everything else. And he said no, and I was just kind of surprised by that. Sort of the the I, I wonder if Mondaire was almost too nice to win, and the fact that he didn't play hardball politics um, exactly. with like Nancy Pelosi, who were like the absolute masters of it, um, kind exactly. of the from the start.
1: I think he just, you know, moved aside for Patrick, for Sean Patrick Maloney. I think if he had stayed and fought, I think it would have been a closer race than people thought. So unfortunately, no mind there. And for running in this race now, he's pissed off the ultra progressives, like the working family party. They're kind of pissed because had he just stayed out the race or dropped out earlier, I think in their mind, they believe Eulene would have won. Yeah. I don't know if that's for sure, but the sentiment um, when you speak to some progressives was that you know he should have dropped out; it would have probably given the race to Yulien. I don't know if his voters are Yulien voters, but that's the sentiment of, amongst some progressives this morning.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, right? Hard, hard. To, it's always easier to after after the fact to blame someone and do some quick math and decide that's why. But exactly. with that said, given that he's sort of like. A, a, a politician without a home I don't even really know what he runs for in the future anyway right
1: mm, uh, I, do, I don't think I don't think we've seen the end of Mondaire. I don't I do think Mondaire will run I think Mondaire believes that like he has a greater calling and yeah. I would be, I think he'll take a break for a little bit but once he settles down and finds his permanent community, I don't think we've seen the last
0: of Monday. I would agree with that. I would say, look, I am not, as you all know, a darling of the progressives in New York. And when I needed someone to carry a letter for me in the House uh, making the case for the universal school meal funding, he didn't care that I wasn't sort of, you know, loved by all of his supporters and colleagues. It was the right thing to do. And, and he did it. I was really grateful. Uh,
1: yeah, he's he, he is, you know, There are people who are like idealists and they just do whatever, you know, their party tells them to do. And then there are people who make decisions based off what they feel is right. I do think Mondaire is a person who makes decisions based off what he feels
0: personally is the right thing to do. So Alessandra Biagi, who is a darling of the left, you know, ran against Sean Patrick Maloney in the Westchester seat. She lost (laughs) almost two to one. Were you surprised by the margin? No. And what do you think? Is it just because in that, in a non- New York City district that progressive message just wasn't going to really resonate, or what do you attribute? It I to? don't think her message resonated. She,
1: you know, if you read the stories, she was having a lot of external problems with staff and things like that. I just don't think Rockland resonated with her. I, I went like when the lines got redrawn originally, I was like, okay, it makes sense for her to run. When we got the new lines. I definitely thought she'd be like, I'm not running for that. I'm going to stay in the state Senate. I was surprised when she decided to run and go run against Sean Patrick Maloney.
0: So we also had, although the congressional races got most of the attention, but but we obviously had state Senate primaries yesterday as well. Um, what's your takeaway from them? And and I thought what was interesting, we were to about this this morning, is centrists kind of did really well in the congressional races in New York. But progressives did really well in the state Senate. So... Why? How did that happen? Well,
1: last night was a night for incumbents in the state Senate. So Gustavo Rivero won, Jabari Prisport um, Brisport won, Robert Jackson. You have Kevin Parker who had it. Um, a lot of the progressives who are incumbents won. I think that, you know, I think in the state Senate, like these people really are passionate in their community. They do the retail politics. They help you know, with the issues at home. And I think that the Senate is a progressive chamber. You know, I know people used to, the Senate has always been a Republican chamber. Once winning under Cousins, it was a progressive, but we're like a very, not we, they, you know, this is my old home. Um, they're very progressive. They believe in a lot of things that the Working Family Party and some of the DSA people believe in too. So things like good cause, you know, they're thinking about it. You know, we've they've had an extremely successful track record over the past four years. So I'm not surprised that they won. Plus some of the candidates that ran against them were this lackluster. You know, Eric Adams, I think in the Jabari Brisport race, he won, he got, I think it was like, Sixty-nine percent of the vote, and he ran against a Eric Adams endorsed candidate, but that guy was anti-Semitic. He had made anti-Semitic remarks prior. So, some of the candidates running against the incumbents were questionable. It was a low voter turnout, and in addition, these candidates had name recognition. So, it was always going to be an uphill
0: battle for most of the people running against the candidates in the Senate. Um, and so, given that, I think at one point it was talked that the Republicans in Albany would would have some gains in the Senate because it felt like it was gonna be a big Republican year. You know, recent evidence both in New York and around the country is pointing the other direction. So if you had to forecast kind of how the state Senate ends up after November, what are you thinking?
1: I think well, Senate Dems will definitely keep the Senate majority, so that's not a question. It's a matter of if they lose their supermajority. I do think once the general comes around, they may lose, you know, one or two seats, so they may not have a supermajority, but they're going to have in the high thirties. They know how to work their districts. Uh, Mike Janeros, who runs DSCC, Andre Sir Cousins, who's the leader. They're very calculated in what races they support. They're very good at spotting good candidates for the general. And one thing about the conference, they all coalesce and they support each other. So I think there was concern prior to Dobbs' decision um, and prior to the um, school shooting, um, I think it was in Texas, that you know the Republicans would run away and that would impact the state races. I don't think so after that. I think after the Dobbs decision, definitely. I think we're going to see voter turnout. Then we're going to see a lot of women voting. We're going to see a lot of young kids voting. And I don't see there being much of a difference in the state Senate or in the legislature. And yeah. Kathy is both running. And she's. I think there was a poll today or yesterday that she's
0: 24 points. Yeah, 24. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, so she's winning that race easily. Yeah, um, so... Yeah, so, so so right. Dobbs is a really interesting thing to pivot to. So there was a special election. So Antonio Delgado, who was a member of Congress from Dutchess County kind of an di- upstate district, was named lieutenant governor by Hochul. He vacated his seat. There was a special election yesterday to fill the remainder of the term. And you had the Democratic Ulster County exec and the Republican Dutchess County exec go head to head. And I think the sentiment was, you know, in this year, the Republican uh, candidate, Mark Bolinaro would likely win. I, I've been spending you know, a lot. Of, I've got a house in, in that district upstate. And so I've sort of seen, at least in the long sign test, you know, just a tremendous amount of, of signs and sort of enthusiasm for Ryan, all based around choice. So Correct. based on what you saw in, in that race yesterday, what you saw in Kansas and everything else, uh, how do you now think Dobbs will impact the final result in November, especially in Congress?
1: Um. You know, I think it's—I do think people will come to vote. I do think we'll have high voter turnout because of Dobbs. I think the candidates that choose to run on abortion will win. I think when we stay true to our democratic, you know, or progressive ideals, we win. And I think, you know, Ryan is a good example because they said uh, Biden won that district by two points— in 2020. And in 2016, they said Trump won it by seven points. So this is a swing district, like it could go either way on the candidate. It all depends on the candidates um, that the DCCC decides to run, if they're good candidates, and how engaged they are to the messaging of Dobbs.
0: So if you had to guess now, so on one hand, if if your goal is to sort of see the Democrats maintain control of Congress. Dobbs is obviously a, a very material advantage. On the other hand, you've got gas prices, inflation, you know, mm-hmm. plenty of other stuff. Um, it seemed like it was going to be easy for the Republicans to take the House and a real toss-up in the Senate. Um, how would you now handicap it? I
1: don't, I don't, I don't think they take the House. I actually, I would say they don't take the House. I think things are going to stay pretty much status quo. I could be wrong, but I don't think they take the House. I think that people will come out to vote in droves not like, you know, the prior years, but they're going to, there will be increased voter turnout. People are pissed about the Supreme Court decision and they're pissed of like, you know, the people that are like, politics has just been too extreme. I think everyone's going to coalesce and we want common sense federally. So I do think the Democrats will Hold the House and the Senate, but it's going to be very close. It's not going to be a landslide. Like in the Senate, it's going to be similar to what it is now.
0: So, if you're Joe Biden and your numbers are not great, and you say you're running for election, but no one's quite sure if you really are or not, how much does your decision change if you hold the House and Congress generally, as compared to if you lose it?
1: If I'm Joe Biden, if they keep, if I think you know they may keep the House, I would stay and I would definitely run. Um, I would run, I mean, I know he said he's canceling student, I think, 10,000. I would do a greater number to get younger people more engaged. I think we really, Democrats, have to work on getting younger voters engaged and like just getting all the people out. I think Dobbs will get the women that are upset about abortion. I think people who are upset about guns will come out. But I do think the president needs to really focus on how to get everybody out. And sometimes you have to mix and match your messaging and appeal to the people who are right now disengaged because Biden's numbers aren't good and my dog was named after Joe Biden. Wait, what's the dog's name Joe or Biden? No, my dog's name is Bidey, like B I D E Y, cuz he was okay. born on the day that Joe Biden became president. I love Joe Biden. I stayed up every night after the after the general election in 2020. But right now, I people don't feel excited about him. There's nothing exciting about Joe Biden.
0: It, it does seem, though, like, you know, look, I think the, even though it's a weirdly titled bill, the Inflation Reduction Act, it was for climate change, a really serious piece of legislation, right? I don't right. think it's not a meaningful accomplishment. Um, and he's got a few others, maybe the infrastructure bill. I, I thought the Afghan pullout was actually very courageous, and, and I was glad to see him do it. Um, yeah. Do you think is racking up enough accomplishments to really matter, or do you think we just live in a world where everyone is angry no matter what, and that's the only thing that that through.
1: You know, I I think look, I think his I don't want to downplay his recent accomplishments because I think they were very significant, especially with the Senate being as close as it is. But I I just don't feel the enthusiasm. I don't feel excited when he speaks. I don't feel like oh wow this is good. You know, I vote because I rather him be in charge than someone else. But there's no excitement and. I think, you know, Democrats on the national lo- level really need to sit down and have a come to Jesus moment and figure out what they can do to attract people if Joe's coming or who is the person, if Joe's not running, that's going to lead the party. Right.
0: So I was my next question, which is let, let's assume Biden tomorrow breaks a hip and decides he's not going to run and you get to pick the nominee. Oh,
1: uh, don't do this to me because people are going to be very pissed off at what I say. All right. You, you, give, you give me two or three
0: choices. How about this?
1: All right. Oh, okay, thank you, because that at least will help me out. I'm really, I really dig Pete Buttigieg. I think he is so good. He's one of the only people that can go on Fox News and message and message well. I think he, you know, with I think he could really get people excited. As a woman, I am supposed to say, and especially as a black woman, Kamala. But right. I don't know what she's like. I, has been a little bit lackluster and I am a Jamaican black woman. So I support Kamala, but she's been lackluster. She, you know, yeah. her campaign was less than desirable. I'm like doing the mortal sin of talking bad about a black woman on a podcast. So I hope people don't kill me, but she did not perform well, you know, in the presidential and as vice president, I just don't know what she's done. like yeah. just, I mean, just, I don't see anybody else that like, gets me like, I don't know who else would run. Cause no one else is exciting.
0: Right. I mean, you have people who sort of on paper could make sense, like Gretchen Whitmer, the governor of Michigan, she's female, Midwestern governor, swing state. But I feel like, you know, that's just like what, what you know, pundits like you and me sort of put together, you know, on paper. And then the reality of it is is rarely reflects that.
1: You need someone with authentic charisma, authentic likability, and can just talk to the people and the masses. Bill Clinton had it. Barack Obama had it. Weirdly, Trump had it in some weird way. Yep. And, you know, uh, Ronald Reagan had it, you know, I know, tons, I know tons of people who love Ronald Reagan. Yeah. So we haven't had that in the past, you know, what is it, two years. So we don't have that now. And I don't know if it's because politics has just become so, you know, negative that, like, you know, you can't see yourself liking someone from another party or you can't be open to different ideals. But like right now. In terms of the Democrats, I they really need to have a family meeting and figure out what they're going to do.
0: I don't know how much you follow Florida politics, but Charlie Crist won the nomination on the Democratic side to run for governor, so he will have uh, he will match up against Ron DeSantis, who is seen as, I guess, the presumptive Republican presidential favorite if Trump doesn't run. Um, any thoughts as to whether or not Chris could pull this off and knock DeSantis off of, of the game?
1: You know... I got real excited in 2016. I forgot this guy that was running against DeSantis. I forgot his name. Oh, Gillum, right? Yeah. I just feel like Florida politics is crazier than New York politics. (laughs) And, you know, I think, I know people want DeSantis gone, but I don't see him. I don't see him not winning his election. He's a superstar. If you can do all this crazy stuff that he does and win your elections... I don't see them defeating him in Florida.
0: I could be wrong. Yeah, and Charlie Crist is sort of the, the epitome of just a hack, right? Yeah, like... like he's a Republican, he's a Democrat, he just doesn't, you know, he's just like the, if you looked up encyclopedia, like someone who runs for office who believes in absolutely nothing, that's, that's Charlie Crist.
1: And, you know, DeSantis believes in being the anti, I don't know what it is, but he is polar opposite of what people think a politician should be. I think he loves it. The only thing that may be a spoiler is how Trump reacts to him getting the limelight. And if he wants to dabble in floral politics, but if Trump doesn't dabble in and does anything negative to DeSantis, I don't see DeSantis losing.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's, and that was my last question for you, which is, okay. So Trump said after the midterms, I'm going to make an announcement. Uh, How does his record of endorsements, you know, what we've seen in different states, Dobbs, everything else, in your view, change the likelihood of him running again or not?
1: <sighs> you know, I think after this recent um, raid of his house and his current legal problems, I actually do think he will run. And I think these people are going to suck him up. And I think Republicans feel like I think the decision to raid his house to get the classified information gave him a boost that I don't think people really calculated.
0: And yeah, unless they I, mean, I just don't see a world where, it, look, maybe it is the case that whatever he took, just revealing its existence alone, damages natural security, and they can't say it. But putting that aside, they've got to be able to show what they took and why, because otherwise it's going to be a huge risk. Exactly.
1: I just thought the whole rollout of the raid of his house was this, like Biden just had a significant win. Like Democrats are this, giving each other high fives. And like a day or two day later as you do this raid, you don't say why. Now we find out later that there's classified information, but you don't know how classified the information was. I just think it it this was I, I I know people can't coordinate these things, but I just think we get punched in the stomach after we after Biden had a significant win. And I think that's why people don't talk enough about what Biden just did in terms of the legislation that he signed, because it all became overshadowed by the raid and the classified information.
0: Right, it's hard enough to get reporters to pay attention to policy in the first place when they can do politics, and then when you give them something on a silver platter like the FBI raiding the home of the former president, who might have stolen exactly. Who cares about climate bill, right? Even though the climate bill is much more important. At the end of the day, exactly, and and
1: I read that you know, like Trump, and I think the FBI, like Trump, knew that he like the FBI was coming, like. There had been communication, but he didn't say anything about it. Like he played this off to make it like a political hack job. Like they're coming after me. This is the Democrats because they're, you know, scorn and blah, 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 blah. And he's just, you know, like he's a TV executive and he's making this a show and Republicans are eating this up. You know, Liz yep. Cheney lost. That's telling you where the Republican Party is at.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And the question just become, are they extreme enough that they can't capture 270 electoral college votes in 24 as a result, or is, are they kind of in tune with the country? And look, as, as, as much as it scares me to say it, even when you dismiss all of Trump's ridiculous arguments about the 2020 election, he didn't really lose by that much, right? Exactly. He was still 20,000 votes here, 30,000 votes there. I mean, these aren't big numbers. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think anyone who, who dismisses his chances of reelection uh, is really playing with fire. So, uh, also, our- like, if he's president, like, let's say he wins in November.
1: I don't even know like what happens with the criminal investigation once he's president. So it'll
0: be interesting to see. and I'm right. sure that's part of his calculation too. You know? For sure. I mean, it seemed like part of the reason he had the whole crazy stop to steal was that he felt like if he ran the justice department, he was less likely. Look, maybe Fulton County, the DA there, indicts him on something. It doesn't seem like Tish or Alvin have the goods on him here in New York, but you know, um, yeah, the one thing we know is it's never boring. So, all right, Chantel, thanks for your inaugural appearance uh, on Firewall. Thanks for all the analysis. Uh, we'll have you back on. Thank you, Bradley. All right. See you. Okay.